so good to have you all with us. I want you to stand to your feet. We're in a series called Expect. We're going to honor the reading of God's Word. How many know that God's Word isn't just meant for you to see with your eyes? It's meant for you to declare with your mouth. So we're going to declare God's promises as we go into week two of Expect. So let's read this together out loud. All of you joining us online, you do the same. Here we go. 1 Peter 1.3. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Let me say today that we have an inheritance, eternal life with God in heaven forever. And we're to live as people who are expecting that inheritance one day to come. But not only is the message in the Bible that we're to live expecting heaven, we're to live on earth with an expectation. I love the the verse that says this, I am confident, I expect that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we're preaching a series about being people of great expectation. I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we say, have your way. Awaken our faith to live with great expectation. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody shout it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, our world has kind of an opposite mentality, and that is they want us to lower expectations. I think this is probably symbolic of a lot of our culture, and that is this quote, which is, expect nothing and you will never be disappointed. But I want to tell you that God is a God who says, I want you to live with expectation. In fact, Romans tells us that every one of us, when we get saved, have been deposited inside of us a level or a measure of faith or expectation. The Bible says in Psalms that all of our expectation comes from the Lord. The word expectation there is a word which means hope. It's very similar to the word faith. God wants us to be people of faith. The word, the word expectation defined just simply means to anticipate with confidence. And so today we're using the story of Abraham, the story where God speaks to Abraham, the father of faith, the father of expectation, and he says, I want you to take your son up to the top of the mountain I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, when we hear this story, a lot of us have a weird and awkward and um, uncomfortable feeling about that request. And I'm not going to take time to try to define and theologically break down the reasons why God would ask something like that, because I don't know that I could even do it well enough. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're a little uncertain about that whole topic, just put it on the side, and when you get to heaven, you can talk to God about it. Is that all right? Today, what we're going to do is we're just going to simply take God's word, which is his truth, And we're going to pull out some truths and some principles so that we can be people of faith and of expectation. Amen? Last week, we learned that if we're people of faith, we need to expect there'll be some tests. How many know life will send some tests? We also learned that we need to expect that um, silence is in the middle of the test. The teacher never talks during the middle of the test. We learned last week that sometimes we need to expect that it's going to take some time. It doesn't always happen on our timetable. How many know God's timing is different than our timing? So today we're going to continue in the series, and I'm excited because God's going to share some things. As we dive into this, though, it's going to get a little close to home for some of us. So just open up your heart. You ready? Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, and that is expect to leave some behind. Expect to leave some behind. 
Let's take a look at this story and see where we find that out. It's in, Abraham, it's in Genesis 22, when Abraham shows up at the mountain finally, where God has called him to go and sacrifice his son. Here's what he says. Stay here. He's talking to his, his servants. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. What Abraham is saying is, he's saying, listen, Isaac and I are called to this mountain. Thank you for coming this far, but we have to go the next part alone because God has called us to this place. God has called us to this mountain. Now, I began to ask the question, why did he leave some people behind? Why is it that God may say, leave some people behind? Now, Maybe one of the reasons for that is that Abraham was worried that these two servants would try to talk him out of doing what God wanted him to do. I don't know that for sure, but what I do know is there's a spiritual principle that we can draw in the Bible and we can understand this idea of expect to leave some behind because that's exactly what Abraham had learned and he had failed it the first time. Some of you say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's take a look in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abram, right? Here's what he says. The Lord has said to Abraham, or Abram, leave your native country, leave your what? And leave your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. You see, the first time that God spoke to Abraham, he said, I want you to go and leave them behind. But what happened was is Lot came along, his nephew, and he said, hey, Abraham, I heard that you're taking a trip. I heard you're going on an adventure. I love adventures. I'm tired of being in this place where we're at, this old town that we live in. I want to go with you. Come on, let me go. Can I go, please, please? Sound like your kids when you're little, right? You're Can I go? Can I go? Please, I want to go. And Abraham, maybe he didn't want to go by himself. This was a big step to go to another country, another place. But he decided to take him along with him. And the moment he did that, a couple interesting things happened. Did you know that God spoke to Abraham? And then we scroll fast forward into the story later on where finally he leaves Lot behind. And in between when he left and when Abraham left Lot, God was quiet. God spoke before he left. God spoke when he left Abraham behind. Maybe the reason you're in the middle of a quiet season is not because of a test. It's because you brought the wrong person along on your journey. You know what's interesting about the name Lot? The name Lot in the Bible is a Hebrew word which means to wrap up. A covering. It means to cover, and its root word means to to wrap around. Can I tell you that there are a lot of people that are all wrapped up in a lot of things, not because they're bad people, but because they have the wrong people with them on their journey. If you look at the story of Abraham, because of Lot, they ended up growing too quickly, and there wasn't enough room, and so Lot's men started fighting with Abraham's men, and they had to split up, and he had to literally give away part of his inheritance to someone that wasn't even called to go where he was called to go. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are wrapped up in things they should never be wrapped up, and it's not because they don't love God. It's not because they're not on a journey to get to where God called them to be. It's because they didn't understand that we have to expect to leave some people behind. Come on, somebody with me. Maybe you're in a quiet phase. Maybe you're wondering, 
why, what is going on? Why am I experiencing all these distractions? And Well, let me show you something. There's a great verse that's found in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and here's what it says. Blessed is the man. Let me stop right there. Here's what the word blessed means. Happy, fulfilled, prosperous. How many like that word? How many want to be blessed? Amen. Most of you. Some of you are just not sure today. You're ready. Happy and prosperous is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the waters or the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Guys, if you pull that up. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Let's take a look at that now in context. The key to you stepping into the blessing and the prosperity and the fullness of God's purpose in your life is connected to the people that you are around. And maybe the reason you haven't moved to where you need to move is because you've brought some people along on the journey that are not giving you godly counsel. Maybe they're not a believer. Maybe there's someone who's distracted. Who are you walking with? Who are you spending time with? Because who is on your journey matters. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33, it says, for bad company corrupts good character. Let me just say it this way. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who is walking with you can affect the blessing and the fulfillment of God's purpose in your life. Maybe today that you've got a business partner. Maybe today you've got a coworker. Maybe today you've got a family member. Maybe today you've got an old high school friend. And, and the reason that you haven't been able to break loose because you're all wrapped up in the wrong advice. You know, it's funny to me that people that are going through marriage problems talk to their buddies at work who have all been divorced three times. The point I want to make is sometimes God calls us to leave some people behind. Why? Because he wants to bless you and get you to where you need to be, but it matters who you're around. It matters who you're listening to. Now, I'm not saying today that you can't have friends that aren't Christians. I'm not saying today that, that you know, you're supposed to only talk to Christian people and people that have lots of faith. How many know that we're supposed to be light in a dark world? But here's my question. How much time are the right voices having in your life and how much time are the wrong voices having in your life? Because sometimes the key to us stepping into the prospering promise of God is connected to who is on the journey. Faith expects that you have to leave some behind. That's a good point. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, we'll move on because it got a little quiet on that one. You ready? Point number two. Here we go. Expect that worship requires a sacrifice. Expect that worship requires a sacrifice. Let's go to Genesis and let's keep reading. Genesis 22. We're kind of rehashing these same verses, but there's some truth here that we have to unlock as we go on. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham said to the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. Then we will, what's the next word? Worship there. 
To me, that was intriguing. When I read that part, I'm like, why did Abraham say worship there? Because God said, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Here's what's really interesting, and that's this. Did you know that the first time the word worship is used in the Bible is right here? In other words, Abraham, when he understands worship, he realizes that worship is connected to sacrifice. Now, as we go on with, with Moses and so on, we realize that sacrifices are worship and so on. But this is pre-Moses, pre-the law. So, God, so as God's speaking to him, he's saying, I want you to take your son. What happens is Abraham realizes and connects that worship is sacrifice. In fact, if you read in the New Testament in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, let us therefore continually offer the sacrifice of praise. I love what it says in Romans, Romans chapter 12, because some of you are like, well, Pastor Jared, that's Old Testament. We're not talking about New Testament. Well, let's look at New Testament. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And some of you are saying, well, Pastor Jared, where are you going with this? What, what point are you trying to make? Well, if we're people of faith, here's what you need to understand. Our mentality sometimes is that worship is what we give the leftovers. Well, God, if I have time this week, I'll make, I'll make it to church. Well, God, I know the pastor, they start the worship and the worship leader says, raise your hands. And, but you don't understand, I just came in. It's so hot out there. I'm sweaty. I'm perspiring. The sweat's going to run down the inside. You know that part right there when you lift your hands, it feels so horrible. And you feel it run down the back and it goes down the back part of your pants and you're all like this. I can, I'm not going to do that today. It's too hot outside. Maybe I'll just be silent and still and know that he is God. I know the offering bags are going by, and you know what, Pastor Jared, this week, uh, a lot's been going on in my life. God, you know that I've been busy, we've been on vacation, so I don't have much this week, so I just give you what I have left over. And if we're not careful, we develop this mentality of worship, that worship is what we give if we have something left. But when we look at this story, here's what we discover, that sometimes God is trying to teach us that worship isn't what's left over. Worship is something, as David said, I will never offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing. I think that what God is teaching us in this principle about faith is faith understands that with worship, you realize that you have to pay a price. There's something that costs in your life when you worship because sometimes we hold too tightly to things. Do you know what the first commandment is? The very first commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, you should worship him, and have no other gods before him. And what happens if we're not careful, and I think this is what might have happened in Abraham's life, is that he began to look at this gift that God had given him. God had blessed him with it, and he's like, wow, God, this is so awesome. You gave me a son. I was 100 years old. It was impossible. This is the, the child through which the world is going to be blessed. And he started thanking what he'd been given and appreciating what he'd been given so much that he started wrapping his hands around it so tightly that now it moved up in the priority list where it moved above God, and God was maybe number two or number three. And my question is, how many of us have holding in our hands certain things? It may be a possession. It may be a house. It may be a dream of something that we've wanted to do. It may be a relationship with someone that's not a Christian. We're dating, but we really like them. And what we do is we just start putting these things in our hands, and they become so important that they suddenly have moved into number one. And God has moved to number two, or number three, or number four, or number five. 
You see, God is saying that worship requires a sacrifice. Corrie ten Boom, who went through the, the Holocaust, she was actually in a concentration camp. She wasn't a Jew, but she helped Jews escape. She got caught and she lost everything. She survived the prison camp and when she came out, she made this statement. She said, I've learned that we must hold everything loosely because what I grip tightly, it hurts too much when the father pries it from my fingers. You see, Abraham realized that maybe he was holding too tightly to something. Maybe you're holding so tightly to something. And God is saying, listen, people of faith don't live with hands that are tightly gripped like this. They live with loose hands, with open hands, because they realize that I'm first and that I can give and I can take, for the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Worship should cost us something. You know, I love the quote, which simply says, what we release... God will replace with something far greater. What we release, God will replace with something far greater. There's a lot of us that want to see God do something great. You know, it reminds me of a story that happened in my, my family with my brother Wayman. Some of you know last weekend we uh, had a special party. And this party was to thank and honor him for serving here at Higher Vision for six years. And what many of you don't know is that, and some of you may have heard this, that he's going to take over the, the, the leadership, the CEO position, the, the head honcho of the Pentecostal Church of God. He's the visionary, he's the, the bishop, the superintendent, whatever you want want to call it. And he's overseeing about 5,500 churches around the world. His, his calling is to help that movement do what God's called it to do. What you may not know, some of you may have heard this, but 27 years ago, I was in a service at my dad and mom's church in Selma, California. I was up playing the piano as we were doing worship. It was altar time, and the man who was ministering was speaking prophetic words over people, and suddenly he sees this young couple walk into the back of the room, and it happened to be my brother and my sister-in-law, Kimberly. They were coming back from their, their wedding uh, trip, their honeymoon. And as they walked into the room, they snuck in to get in the end of the service. And he calls them out and says, I want you to stand in the middle. And he begins to prophesy over them. And here's what he says. He basically says, you're going to be the leader of a denomination. 27 years ago, that was prophesied. Well, Wayman got up. Kimberly got up. And they went on their way. Wayman went. And he moved to the state of misery. I mean, Missouri. He got there and he started teaching at Messenger Bible College and he was the, the music professor and he was also the Bible professor and he did that for a while and as he was doing that, a church came open and he took over a church of 65 people and grew it to 1,000 people and he was serving and doing what God called him to do. They built a new building and then suddenly he got called out of that to become the bishop of a district, which was 100 churches. And so he stepped in and for several years he, he worked in the denomination overseeing a state. And then God called his name and he went and became the vice president of the whole denomination. And so he was the second in command of this denomination, the Pentecostal Church of God, and he was serving and doing his thing. And then one year, some weird things happened. Some political stuff happened, and basically, suddenly, Wayman was not there anymore, and he had nowhere to go. He had no church. How I many know sometimes bad things happen to good people? Yes. I'll never forget when it happened, I was like, Hallelujah. Because Higher Vision Church swept in 
and we kidnapped and adopted Wayman Ming, and he came here to Higher Vision and became our executive pastor. I'm like, if he can be the second in command of 5,500 church, for sure he can be the second in command at Higher Vision. And he came, and he began to serve, and he began to do a wonderful thing. And here's what happened. We began to have conversations. I'm like, Wayman, you know, what do you think about being the, the bishop? What do you think about being the guy in charge of that denomination? And here's what he said. He said, Jared, that dream is dead. He said, we've just laid that on the altar. We've taken it up to the top of the mountain. It used to be something that was so important, but you you, got to understand, you know what? If that's not God's plan, I don't want it. If that was too important, I don't want it. So we laid it on the altar. And what's interesting is Wayman, last Sunday night, he stood in front of the group of people that were here honoring him and celebrating him. And he said, you know, six years ago, I laid a dream on the altar and I let it die. He said, but what I didn't know is that God, who's a God of resurrection, had another plan. And can I tell you, there's a lot of us that God wants to bring the blessing, and now he's the guy in charge of all of those people. The dream has been fulfilled. But let me tell you something. Sometimes you'll not see your dream until you let it die. You'll not see your promise until it has died, until you've let go of it, until you let go of the, the tight fist that you have your hand around, and you say, God, I'm going to sacrifice whatever the cost to serve you, so I'm laying on the altar. Here's the problem. A lot of us want to see a God of resurrection, but he can't resurrect something that's still alive and there's too many of us that have things that are still alive that we're let living we let things continue to have prominence and priority in our life and God's saying sometimes you've got to realize that faith says I'm going to sacrifice with this worship I'm going to pay a price with this worship and if I have to let it die I'm going to let it die and walk away but here's the good thing God is a God of resurrection he can bring it back to life he can give it back to you because what we release God will replace with something far greater. Somebody shout amen. Good preaching. Amen. Preach it. I had someone after service last week. They came up and they're like, come here, Pastor Jared. And I'm like, what? And he lifted his hand. I'm like, listen. He goes, preach it. He goes, you're always doing it to yourself, so I'm going to give you one right now. Expect to leave some behind. Expect that worship requires a sacrifice. Let me just, before I move on, what are you still holding on to? What has moved up the list of priority in your life that maybe God's saying, I need to put this on the altar? You ready for point three? I gotta tell you, I cannot wait till next week. We're gonna land this plane next week. There's so many great truths in this story, but we're gonna finish out this week with point number three. Write this down, and that is expect God can get outside the box. Expect that God can get outside the box. I'm going to show you something in this story you may have never seen before. Let's see where that happened. Genesis chapter 22, we read it a moment ago, and Abraham told the servants, some of you are like, man, we're still right here in the same verse? You didn't realize there was so much good stuff right there, did you? The boy and I will travel a little farther, we will worship there, and then we will come right back. That statement is about as outside the box as you can get. Some of you say, what do you mean? I don't understand, Pastor Jerry. Where do you get that? Well, when I say God is an outside the box God, when I say expect that God can get outside the box, here's what I'm saying, is that God is able to take the natural and do something supernatural. Is that God can take the the situation and do something miraculous. How many know that we serve a God who can do miracles? 
What's interesting is that when Abraham said, we will come back, Abraham was saying, I serve a God who's outside the box. Because I can tell you exactly what was going through Abraham's mind. So you're like, what was going through his mind when he walked up that mountain? I mean, what he said, God's going to provide. Was he thinking God was going to provide a sacrifice, a, a ram, which he did? What was he thinking? Well, let me show you what he was thinking. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19 tells us, Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son. Let me stop right there. This wasn't just an exercise in futility. This one was, I'm going to get to the very end, and at the last second, if God doesn't come through, I'm going to wait and step back. No, he was going all the way. He was going to take his son out. If you read the story, we'll get to it next week. He raised the knife. So he was expecting. He was ready to sacrifice his, his son Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, this is what he was thinking, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Abraham was thinking, wait a minute, God is so outside the box, he'll bring my son back to life again. And some of you are thinking, well, why is that so outside the box? Here's why that's interesting. The concept of resurrection, if you read through the Bible, up until this point, is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. The idea that God would raise someone back to life, we understand it now. Why? Because we're on this side of, of the tomb. We're on this side of Jesus dying and rising again. We're on this side of the story where what? Where, where um, Lazarus, he said, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. On that side of history, there was no record. There was no story. There was no even idea that someone could be raised back to life again. The point I want to make is simply this, that we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what he could, we could even think or imagine. God is a God of the miraculous. When Abraham thought, wait a minute, God could bring him back to life, that's an outside-the-box God. When Peter stood on the boat and he saw Jesus at a distance and he said, call my name, I'm going to walk on water, he realized that God is an outside-the-box God. When Joshua stood and he saw the sun in the sky and he saw his enemies fleeing before him and he looked up and he said, God, stop the rotation of the earth and let the sun stand still. God stopped the sun so he could chase his enemy. That's an outside-the-box kind of God. The problem is, is that rather than living with a faith that says, God, you can do things outside the box, you can do the miraculous, we say, how could that happen? There's no way for this to change. There's no way my marriage is going to get better. There's no way I'm ever going to get out of debt. There's no way I'm going to serve in ministry because you don't know the big mistake I made. No one will ever accept me in a place of leadership again. But faith says, wait a minute. God can make a way where there is no way. Wait a minute. God is an outside-the-box kind of God. If you're standing at the Red Sea and you've got the, the army of Pharaoh coming at you and on the other side is a bunch of water, it's a sea and there's nowhere to go, suddenly you remember that God can step into and he can breathe onto that water and separate the water and put dry land because God can make a way where there is no way. 
When you're standing in front of Jericho and the walls are so high and you can't get into the promise that God has for you. There's no way around it. There's no way over it. There's no way under it. There's no way. And suddenly God comes along and causes an earthquake and the walls literally fall flat. God made a way where there is no way. When you're standing on the mountain and your name is David and you see a, a giant standing between you and your nation's victory, all it takes is God to use a stone and a little boy and God can make a way where there is no way. You need to understand today that God has put inside of you a faith to believe that he can get outside your box, he can create a, an answer to your situation, and he can make a way where there is no way. God's not limited to your box. God's not limited to your natural because he's supernatural. Jack might be in the box. And he might even have some scrumptious tacos with him that are very unhealthy. But God is not limited to your box. There was a traveler in the early days of the West, and he arrived at the Mississippi River, and he discovered there was no bridge. Fortunately, it was winter, and the great river was sheeted over with ice. But the traveler was afraid to trust himself to it not knowing how thick it was. Finally, with some caution, he began to creep on his hands and knees slowly across the river and got halfway across when he heard some whistling and some singing. Carefully, not to shatter the ice, he turns to look and what he sees is a man whistling and singing as he's driving four horses and a wagon full of coal across the river. Question is, which one of those people describe your expectation? Which one of those people describe your faith? Peter says we should live with great expectation. But too often, so many in the church are on our hands and knees, crawling very slowly, making very little progress. And here's the thing, we're afraid, expecting the ice to crack, expecting the shoe to drop, expecting the problem to come, expecting the doctor to call with the diagnosis, expecting our spouse to walk in and say, I found someone else, expecting that, yeah, people are going to do something stupid, so I'm not going to get involved. We expect the worst, but God says, don't expect the worst. Expect that I'm a God who can get outside your box. Expect that I can do exceedingly abundantly above what you can even ask or imagine. Expect. Because when you expect, you can ride across that river with joy. You can ride across that river singing and praising God. You can ride across that river at a speed way beyond where you would be if you didn't expect. God is looking for people who will dare to believe. You know why? Because there are miracles there are resurrected dreams what if Wayman wouldn't have laid that dream down 
What if he'd have kept trying to hold on to it? What if he would have lobbied with the people there? What if he'd have moved to Dallas and, and tried to work the system? What if he'd have done all those things? He'd have held on. How many of us are holding on? And what God's saying is, what you release, I can replace with something far greater. Man, don't you just sense the Holy Spirit here right now? What's powerful for me when I walk off this platform is I realize it wasn't me talking. God is talking. His Spirit is speaking to you.